0: Blog
1: TALK RADIO Good morning and welcome to NJSBA's podcast program, uh, Conversations on New Jersey Education. This is the School Law Today uh, episode in which, we'll be, you know, in which we discuss uh, school law issues. Um... If you want to participate in the program, all you have to do is dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four, and just press the number one, and that will let our mic, who's operating our switchboard, uh, uh, know that you have a question, and we'll put it on our switchboard, and then it'll bring you up. We also have a chat room feature. Uh, you can use the chat room. Uh, if you're in the chat room, all you have to do is uh, just you know have to log, you have to log in with uh, Blog Talk Radio. There's no charge uh to do that. And if you have a question you can just type it in the chat room and I will uh bring it on to our guest. Um you know we're doing this uh program uh remotely on a something called Blog Talk Radio and it's a uh, a podcast and that's it's kind of an example of how things have changed over the years and how technology has really changed things. And uh Probably in past years, when we dealt with school issues, what happened in the school building was a school issue. What happened outside the school building was a family issue or community issue. Uh, but in the case of bullying, now uh, we have what we call cyberbullying. So, and school districts have to deal with that. Uh, so, with us to discuss that uh, is Mark Zimmerman. Mark is with the law firm of uh, Skank, Price Smith and King. Uh, welcome, Mark.
0: Good morning, Ray. Thanks for having me.
1: Um, before we get into the discussion, just tell us a little bit about your firm, uh, where you are, and uh, how long you, you've been with uh, doing school law.
0: Sure. Well, I've been practicing school law for over 20 years now. I'm with uh, Schenk Price, Smith & King. We're in Florham Park, New Jersey. We're a, a full-service law firm, as we like to say, with about 80 attorneys. And we have about a dozen or so attorneys who exclusively practice school law, including myself. And I'm the chair of our firm's education law department. Okay,
1: okay, Mark. So um, when we just dis- discuss this topic, I-, I think it's a very good topic because uh, there's a lot of fanfare to NJSB uh, and not NJSB, to New Jersey's HIV law that was enacted a few mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, but before we get into cyberbullying, let's just why don't you tell me what's the definition of cyberbullying. Or what it is?
0: Sure, sure. Um, in, in a nutshell, cyberbullying is bullying that takes place through an electronic communication. So if you look at New Jersey's uh, statutory definition of harassment, intimidation, and bullying, it's defined as any gesture, written, verbal, or physical act, or any electronic communication that has this effect of insulting or demeaning another student or creating this hostile educational environment. So as you can see within the definition of bullying, it says electronic communication. And then if you look a little further, uh, the statute defines an electronic communication as basically a a communication transmitted by means of an electronic device such as a, a telephone, a cell phone, a computer, or even a pager. And then if you remember, Ray, just looking at the pure definition of bullying in New Jersey, it has to be motivated by some sort of actual or perceived characteristic, such as race, religion, sexual orientation, etc., or by any other distinguishing characteristic, which is kind of that catch-all. And in New Jersey, it's been defined to include things such as being a vegetarian, having head lice, uh, you know, being bullied because of uh, athletic ability and so forth. But again, the key to cyberbullying is that it's all of those things perpetrated by some sort of electronic device.
1: Um, can you give us a, just a couple examples of how uh, bullying incidents that were might be cyberbullying? Because, you know, uh, you know in the old days you felt, you, at least your kid was safe when I got home. Uh, but that's probably not the case anymore.
0: Sure that's that's well said you know um I think cyberbullying is the you know modern if you will way that students nowadays bully one another I think probably when you and I were in school it was the uh, the student pushing another kid into a locker calling him a horrible name a lot of face to face type bullying but now it's done commonly through these electronic devices and students are doing it through things such as Twitter you've got Snapchat you have all these um apps out there where the Uh, The image or the message disappears after a certain period of time, whether it's 10 seconds or 15 seconds. And I think students sometimes feel more secure, if you will, bullying another student that way because they feel that the message is there, but it's gone and it's not traceable and they can't get caught. And and hopefully you and I will address a little little bit later on in the presentation how that's uh, certainly not the case. And then you have things like Instagram, fake websites, uh, webcams, YouTube, e- emails, text messages—so these are all the ways nowadays that students are are bullying one another.
1: And um, New Jersey, uh, with a great fanfare had its, uh, the Great Panther, uh, head its uh, the HIB law, harassment, int- mm-hmm. intimidation, and bullying. How does that? How does cyber bullying fit into that law? Because that's where
0: the school districts will come into play. Sure, absolutely. So when New Jersey enacted its Anti-Bullying Bill of Rights Act, it said that New Jersey's schools have to have comprehensive anti-bullying policies. And one of the elements of those policies has to be Uh, addressing the issue of um, bullying that takes place by this electronic communication device, which I mentioned earlier. So cyberbullying is something that's certainly within the ambit of the statute and something that school districts must address through their policies. So not only bullying that takes place face-to-face, but this bullying that takes place electronically known as cyberbullying also has to be Um, addressed in terms of how it's to be reported, uh, when schools have a right to get involved for bullying, cyberbullying that takes place off campus and so forth. So that has to be part of the comprehensive policy that school districts um, create and address. And and by now, I think pretty much every school district in New Jersey, if they don't already, should have a a comprehensive policy addressing these issues.
1: I think it's always a little tricky for schools, even with this. I think there's clear guidelines with the the law, but uh, when you have to uh, discipline a student for activities that are not ha- occurring during the school day or even on school property, uh, so when can, should a school discipline a pupil? If, if, if they have one student, pupil A is the, uh, or uh, not guilty, but is found to have bullied someone uh, from their, mm-hmm. when should they step in? And how do they step in, uh, you know, without overstepping their bounds?
0: Sure. This has become a a complicated issue for school districts um, because, you know, it's easy for a school district to discipline a student when the conduct takes place at a school-sponsored event or activity or on campus. The more complicated question becomes, when does a school have a right to discipline a student for cyberbullying or anything else for that matter? Uh, that takes place off campus or on a student's own website created at home on a Saturday afternoon, uh, having really nothing to do, physically speaking, uh, with being on campus. And so I think the starting point for your question really has to be New Jersey's um, code, New Jersey code, which deals with disciplining students for off-campus conduct. And if you look at the code, it it essentially says that schools do have a right to discipline students for off-campus conduct Um, But that authority has to only be exercised when it's reasonably necessary for a student's physical safety, security, and well-being, and then the conduct has to materially and substantially disrupt school operations for a school district to get involved in it. So what that essentially means is that for a school district to discipline a student for off-campus conduct, and let's talk about cyberbullying, um, A, it has to present a health, safety, or welfare issue, B, I always tell clients it's got to have some sort of nexus to the school district for the school to be involved. So if if, uh, Johnny curses at another student on a Saturday afternoon in a movie theater, don't think the school is going to get involved with that sort of thing because it really doesn't have any connection or nexus to the school. But when it starts flowing back to the school environment where the conduct at issue um, is having a, a disruptive effect on the school district environment, where the other student doesn't come to school anymore because he or she is fearful. Uh, and it begins to substantially disrupt school operations, that's when a school district does have a, a right and an obligation to get involved and to take disciplinary action. Uh, and that's generally any to type that. of off-campus... Go ahead.
1: Okay, well, uh, you said it's a, it is almost an obligation once they, they found out. And I think the key is the learning environment, if it affects the mm-hmm. learning environment in, in the school. Right. Okay.
0: Yeah, that's okay. It's got to have a, a disruptive effect on the school district environment. And there's, there's lots of cases out there where schools discipline students uh, for off-campus cyberbullying type conduct. Uh, Oftentimes, this ends up in litigation where uh, a school will discipline a student for some sort of website that he or she created on his own time or her own time that that bullies another student or a a YouTube video that's posted, again, not really done on campus, um, but again, it has an effect on the school district environment and on the victim. Uh, These cases oftentimes end up in litigation where the parents of the student who is disciplined will file some sort of Lawsuit against the school district claiming, "Hey, that was protected by the First Amendment. You didn't have a right to discipline my student for that type of behavior." And then there's the struggle between New Jersey's anti-bullying statute and, oftentimes, the First Amendment. What is protected speech? What is not protected speech? Uh, we know, based on you know well-settled case law, that students do have First Amendment rights, and they don't quote-unquote shed their constitutional rights at the schoolhouse gate or even off-campus, necessarily, and then the question becomes, did the school act properly and reasonably under the circumstances in disciplining the student for that off-campus conduct? And it has to, again, meet that substantial material disruption uh, criteria, as well as the health, safety, and welfare issue for a school to get involved. And thankfully, there's lots of cases out there where schools are winning these cases, Um, and oftentimes the courts are finding that this is not protected speech. So,
1: uh, but if a district is going to pursue this cyberbullying, that probably will be the arg- freedom of speech will probably be one of the arguments brought up by uh, the the student being accused.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. So they you should see be that quite it, often. For, okay. And and that's why um, that's why these cases are often litigated in federal court, where the parents are claiming, hey, that's a violation of the First Amendment. You didn't have a right to discipline my my child for that sort of thing. Um, the a c l u oftentimes gets involved in these cases on behalf of students and so forth uh,
1: uh well first of all, before we go on we're uh, we're speaking with mark Zidmer uh on the the issue of cyberbullying. If anyone has a question, they can call one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine oh four press one and uh we'll get your question uh or you can just type it in the chat room. I see there's a few people in the chat room, so if you want to just type in a comment or A question? Feel free to do so. Um, It's social media and the internet is a big, wide world. So, does the district have an obligation to kind of like uh, monitor students' accounts? I mean, uh, how do they know? You know, how do they be preventive in this area, or you know, because can't imagine they would have to, like, look at students' uh, Facebook pages or whatever.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I don't, you know, it's a question that I often get when I um, speak on this subject. I'll, an administrator will come up to me and say, hey, Mark, do we really have to surf the web and do we have to monitor Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook and all these uh Twitter sites and that sort of thing to see what our students are doing to make sure they're behaving and complying with our code of conduct. It's, it's like you said, Ray, it's a, it's a huge, the World Wide Web is huge and um, administrators are concerned that that would impose a tremendous burden on them if they have an obligation to start monitoring these sites. And, and my answer is no. I really don't think school officials have an obligation to spend their days surfing the net and, and finding out what their students are doing. But Once a school official learns that this sort of conduct may be taking place on Twitter or wherever it is, uh, they do have an obligation to get involved and to look and to see if what's happening um, meets the criteria that I mentioned before for disciplining a student for off-campus conduct. I always tell school administrators that as soon as you see something, uh, immediately uh, print it if you can, make a copy of it if you can, because as soon as this stuff gets up on the internet, is as quick as these students are uh, able to take it down and and destroy the evidence. Um, It's not always uh, gone forever, but um, they're pretty savvy when it comes to this sort of thing in terms of uh, getting it up and taking it down quickly once they are concerned that school officials are on to them, so to speak. So, again, to answer your question, I don't think we have an obligation to surf and monitor the web necessarily, but once we have an inkling that something improper is taking place, that bullying is taking place on the Internet or wherever it is, Um, school officials should jump in immediately and act.
1: Okay, if I remember correctly with HIV, you have to have a credible uh, source uh, that, you know, tells you that there's some bullying going on. Uh, So a credible in terms of the Internet, I guess, would be someone sending you the link or or maybe a teacher overhearing from another student, you know, something. Uh, Is that what would be something the district and their within their policy staff should be doing is like if they hear about it or someone gives it to them, they, they need to follow up on that?
0: Well, you know, I don't know that it necessarily has to be a credible source for the school district to at least take a look into it. Um, as you know, Ray, New Jersey's HIB law even allows for anonymous reporting so schools actually have an obligation to investigate HIB cases that are reported anonymously. I know a school district's initial reaction when they get something anonymous is to not pay much attention to it and throw it in the garbage. But um, with bullying, um, I don't think it has to be terribly credible for school officials to at least take a, a preliminary look at it. And if it's an anonymous complaint, they have an obligation to investigate it. So it's a pretty low threshold in terms of where a school district should should get involved and take a look. Um, I think if there's a, even a remote possibility that what's being alleged is, is true, schools should at least do some due diligence and um, investigating.
1: And if they do that, they should record what they've done. Uh,
0: Absolutely. You know. Absolutely yeah. record it and print it and, um, you know, but they need to be careful also in terms of taking things that may be uh, criminal or um, – you know, sometimes you hear about um, students sending illicit pictures of themselves to other students. I always tell school officials, you know, don't put that sort of thing on your own device or your own computer because there are cases where school officials are charged with having child pornography for copying those images onto their own devices. So, uh. you know, perhaps we want to address a little bit later in the in the presentation um, the issue of criminality involved in some of these things. And uh, I always advise school officials if there's cyberbullying cyber that has what we believe is an element of criminality to it, we should immediately um, get law enforcement involved, uh, let them, okay, handle, let one them like preserve the next evidence. Questions. Yeah, I'm sorry. Maybe I'm getting ahead of before
1: you. We, actually, before we get um, sure. to that, though, I do have a question in the chat room. Uh, and it's okay. uh, uh, Patricia, I'm not sure, but whatever. uh if a student is being told to kill yourself by other students, and the parent—we kind of covered this—but and the, and the parent notifies the school district, what is the process to start an HIB investigation?
0: Well, you know, for something like that, I think we immediately need to get the police involved. Immediately need to get the police involved, and possibly the prosecutor's office as well. Um, like I said before, if there's things that involve uh, criminality, which that certainly could and, and would. Let's get law enforcement involved. Let's get as many resources behind it as possible. We should um, not sit on a complaint like that. We need to immediately jump in. As you know, with with teen suicide, time is of the essence in terms of addressing it. Uh, School districts in New Jersey are required and do have um, suicide prevention policies so we need to immediately pull out that policy, see what it says, conduct a swift and meaningful investigation and, and get to the bottom of it and, and take action before something uh, tragic happens.
1: In that case, uh, where you do notify the law enforcement, um, which I understand, does the district stop its investigation or uh, offering services? Or uh, I would think they would need to at least do counseling services for the, the student. who was being bullied, but what's their role in terms of investigation after that? They don't really investigate after that? Is that just the law enforcement at that point?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, when cyberbullying involves uh, potential criminality, I always advise my clients, let's get the the police and and possibly the prosecutor's office on the phone, uh, DCCP, if it involves child abuse or neglect as well. but we often take our marching orders from the police or the prosecutor's office in terms of investigating at that point in time. So the prosecutor's office may say to us, hey, this is something that's uh, potentially criminal we don't want you, as a school district, to start interviewing people and gathering evidence. That's our job. We're going to step in at this point in time, and we're going to take over from here. So um, I always say, let's take our marching orders from them. If they say to us, you can do your own investigation. We'll do our own investigation. Then we can both proceed down parallel courses. But oftentimes, the prosecutor's office, quite frankly, doesn't want us involved at that point, because they don't want us um, botching, if you will, their investigation. and, and Doing it the wrong way. They're they're trained to deal with with criminal investigations. We're really not. Um, so my advice again is l- let's let's take our marching orders from from the authorities.
1: So that was an example of that uh, came in the chat room about uh, probably an example of uh, when you might need to uh, contact law enforcement. Uh, mm-hmm. What else would you need to? Is it just when you feel it crosses the line to being criminal and not a a disciplinary problem?
0: Yeah, you know, I always take an overly conservative approach with these sort of things. To me, if there's ever a situation where something is even potentially a case of child abuse or neglect, um, again, student to student, a student sexually assaults another student on a a school bus or is alleged to have done that, I always advise my clients, let's notify law enforcement, let's notify DCCP. I'd rather be criticized, Ray, for over-reporting something like that um, than not reporting it. It turns out to be much worse, f- perhaps, than we suspected, and then the school district can get in a, in a lot of trouble and be criticized, rightly so, for not having reported that sort of thing in a timely manner to, to law enforcement and or uh, DCCP, which is Child Protective Services. Um, so, that would be my advice.
1: Uh- all right, you've been talking about some of the things that you have to do, um, mm-hmm. and, and I guess – and you're speaking just because, you know, when these things happen, there's – districts can be, you know, liable in a lot of areas. There, there's potential for lawsuits, I guess, from both the mm-hmm. the student being bullied and, and the bullier, uh, mm-hmm. so this is a tricky legal area. What can you do to prevent some of this? Um You know, how can we be proactive to prevent this from even occurring? Yeah,
0: I think you hit the nail on the head with the word prevention, Ray, because I think before New Jersey had its anti-bullying statute, um, the issue was how did school districts react to this sort of thing? Did they react properly? Did they discipline the aggressors? Did they... Uh, Did they take action after it happened to to make sure it didn't happen again? Now New Jersey's law is really focused on the issue of prevention. What are we doing to prevent it in the first place rather than waiting for something to happen and then reacting? So the answer in terms of prevention, there are lots of things schools can and and should do and and thankfully if you look at the statistics in New Jersey um, in terms of bullying, the numbers are down. And I think the numbers are down um, in part because of the training that schools are doing for uh, not only students uh, but for staff as well as parents. You know, um, I did an article that appeared, as you know, in New Jersey School Leader magazine in, in March, April of this year on, on cyberbullying. And one of the things I talk about is the, the need for training as well as the need for involving all walks of the community, parents, teachers administrators, and students. It can't be just one of those groups addressing it. It's got to be all of them collectively addressing it. Uh, The other area is having a comprehensive anti-bullying policy, and not just a policy that sits on a bookshelf somewhere, but a policy that is um, addressed with staff every year to remind everybody that we have this policy. Here's how we address bullying. Here are the steps that we need to follow if a complaint is ever filed. And again, what do we need to do to prevent it before it occurs? And students have to be aware that this conduct is not tolerated at school. And when we say it's not tolerated at school, it's got to have some teeth so that when students do this sort of thing, they know they have to know that there are serious repercussions uh, for their actions. Um, When you talk about cyberbullying, I think a lot of students these days are under this false sense that it's anonymous and that they can do it uh, through a text message, that they can delete, or they can do it through one of these apps that disappears and they're never going to get caught. And I think students have to realize uh, that in the year 2017, there's an electronic footprint of everything they do. So just because it may be gone, quote unquote, from the image on their phone, doesn't mean that a a good uh, computer forensic analyst couldn't get it back. And we do that all the time. And unfortunately, these things come back to haunt students many, many years to come for things that they do online when they apply for a job. Um, Whatever the case may be, these things end up reappearing. So I think we have to educate students to understand that just because it's electronic and just because you hit delete doesn't mean it's gone forever and doesn't mean you can't be caught because you can Um, and i think with cyberbullying that's particularly important
1: and it's probably important to get the message across uh, giving examples or whatever uh to the kids uh, because sometimes i don't think they take things as seriously and they may not think Mm it they may not even think they're bullying uh, because uh, I mean there's the more serious ones where they are more direct like the the one that we were given an example of. But I think in a lot of times uh sometimes kids don't even realize they're actually being bullied. I think they either think they're being funny or following the crowd. So uh they need to be part of that training needs to let them know that uh what it is. What bullying is? Yeah, that's 100%
0: correct, and and it's got to be age-appropriate training. You're not going to explain something to a third grader the same you same way you would to a a junior in high school. So it's got to be age-appropriate training, and uh, I think you also hit the nail on the head when we talk about cyberbullying. I think because sometimes it does have this anonymous feel to it. It's being done on a home computer where you don't necessarily get to see the reaction of the person at the at the other side of it. You don't have to worry about being popped in the nose as opposed to saying something face-to-face to to somebody where they may, you know, take a a strong response. With cyberbullying, it does have somewhat of an anonymous feel to it, and I think you're right. You're 100% right that students may not realize, boy, what kind of effect is this having at the person receiving the communication I mean, the other frightening thing about cyberbullying is the ability of a student to do it and to reach so many people at the same time, to, to so publicly humiliate another person uh, through a, uh, a group chat or a tweet that could go out to three or 400 uh, students in the click of a button, you know, as opposed to just a, a rude comment made face-to-face to somebody in a school hallway which may only be heard by a couple of people. So that's one of the frightening things to me about cyberbullying is this ability to reach such a, a mass audience with it.
1: Um, I guess one of the other things that I, I just want to get to, because I know you represent a lot of school districts in, you know, mm-hmm. in, in good in the large parts of New Jersey. Um, right. <coughs> excuse me. Uh, what is um, Maybe some things that districts should do in terms of their policy or procedures that sometimes they could be lax on and that could affect them down the road. What are some common areas where they might make a mistake? I think it's a little better than it was with HIV. I think most of them are pretty good at following that. But are there any uh, things that some districts should be aware of, you know, if you're a board, making sure that your what your administration at the building level is doing?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the common mistakes that I see made when it comes to bullying policies is some of them are so overly complicated and cumbersome that they're hard to read and understand. So I always tell folks when you have a policy on bullying or cyberbullying, put it in plain English. Put it in terms that people can really understand. Um, You know, 20 pages single-spaced of a bunch of gobbledygook and complicated definitions isn't really going to help anybody. So... um, You know, it's got to be in a a, a form that people can understand uh, in a a way that's easy to follow so that we've got different sections set up. Here's what bullying or cyberbullying is. Here's what you do if you see it. Here's how you report it. Here's our timelines for investigating it and so forth. Um, And we also, uh, as a school district, have a right to uh, implement regulations under the policy as well to maybe further elaborate on some of the um, provisions of the policy itself. You know, one of the things that I've never been a big fan of is New Jersey's definition of, of bullying, HIV. I think it's a very, very complicated definition, unfortunately. Uh, whenever I present on the topic, I try to break it down into to simple terms so that people can really understand what it is and what it's not. Um, I remember when the bullying law came out in New Jersey the, f- the first week or so, my phone was ringing off the hook with school administrators telling me that in the first week of school they had 30, 40, 50 HIV complaints. And yes, I, I remember that time. couldn't really understand why. Yeah, because the, the reason was that nobody really understood the definition. That was the problem. So um, I think one of the reasons that the numbers are down is because um, I think people have a better understanding of what is HIV and what is not HIV. You know, something may not be HIB, but it may be simply a code of conduct violation, and it's got to right. be treated a little yeah. bit differently under, uh, under your student code of conduct policy as opposed to your HIP policy.
1: Okay, that brings us to the those end. That just a fast. few thoughts,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, okay, sure did. Uh, Mark, does, right? thank you for joining me. Thanks.
0: Thank you. I, uh, okay, always and welcome those, the opportunity uh, to be on the show. Thank you.
1: Okay, and that brings us to the end. I hope you all enjoyed this, and if you have any other questions, feel free to send them on to me, and I'll send them on to Mark. Okay, and everyone have a good day. Thank you.
0: Thanks again, Ray. Bye. Okay, thank you.